All right, welcome back to another episode of Two Hours No Traffic, a Philadelphia and New York sports podcast. I am Philly Brandon. Spen Harris is out tonight with a migraine, but we don't need him. Uh, we have Kyle Scott, the founder of Philadelphia sports media giant Crossing Broad and co-host of the Monetized Media HQ podcast. Kyle, thanks for taking the time to pop on. Brandon, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sorry to hear about your co-host migraine. I get them a lot, and I can certainly sympathize. Yeah, he's going to try and listen tomorrow once it uh, unclouds a little bit, but um, we'll get back with him next week. Um, Really, the reason that this whole interview happened was you posted a really interesting thread about how Crossing Broad kind of came to be. Um, and it was kind of a little bit about small business, a little bit about Philly sports, um, and then a lot just to kind of about your personal journey through building the brand. Um, and the more I read through it, you know, a lot of people read the first two or three tweets and then just kind of faded off towards the end. And I really thought the whole story was really, really important. So I wanted to give you the chance today, like while we're on the podcast, just to kind of talk through like, you know, the early stages from almost failing to then, you know, not to spoil the ending, but, you know, going big with a big public IPO and, you know, the, the big check over from the UK. Um, so I'll kind of turn it over to you just to kind of talk about how it came to be. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that was really the first time I've ever, I don't know, ever, but the first time I really like spent time crafting a Twitter thread. Um, you know, I've been on Twitter since 2009 and I've seen over the last few years, the threads just take over. And I've always used this, uh, not the regular Twitter app, this client called Tweetbot. And it doesn't make threads as easy. So, um, but I was thinking and I was like, hey, we're, we're doing this new podcast and we're trying to talk to creators who are, who are in the weeds and trying to do it. And I was like, you know, like this is a pretty good story. And, um, you know, sometimes like I, I don't always want to put myself out there, particularly about how the business and certainly the revenue side of it. I always kind of like kept that quiet. People over the years asked me, like, you know, when you how does crossing broad do? Do you make a living? Things like that. And like the answer was yes. And then some years were much better than others. And then some years were really bad. And then some years were really good. And I always kind of kept that close to the best. So I put out this thread and it was basically just, Hey, I started this site. It was, you know, kind of steadily grown and going well for a period of like five to seven years. And then we lost one of our major, um, advertising methods, which was a, this Google platform we were using. It was called Google surveys. So like people would have to answer a survey question to read the site and it paid really good money. Um, and they just tur- basically turned that off overnight. And then I was like, Oh my God, like we have someone working for us. I have a wife and kids. My wife had left her job at that point. It's like, man, what do you do? Um, so I can go through the story more as we go on, but basically the thread is about, Hey, the next few years, like trying to piece together things that work getting a little bit lucky when the Eagles won the Super Bowl that we sold a lot of t-shirts and had really good income from that. And then sports betting gets legalized and kind of right place, right time thing. Um, Pennsylvania and New Jersey happened to be the first two states that really were kind of set to legalize online betting. And I was like, oh my God, I know how much these companies are going to pay to get new customers. I had a background in affiliate marketing. I knew those like the rates for our new customers were going to be astronomical. I was like, wow, if we do this right, this could be turned into a real business. And, and that's kind of what I spent the last three to four years doing. And then obviously it worked out really well. We got a, got acquired at the end of 2020 and uh, you know, we're still with that company now continuing to grow it. Yeah. That was where the part where I thought the story got extra interesting um, because you know, the, the few tweets before that were, you know, the band-aids um, and then getting lucky with a couple of writers who gave you enough money to kind of get by for a little while. Um, but then just kind of, you know, just, keep bandaging things together until, you know, the sports betting came along and really was the first time 
I guess the sports betting and the Eagles Super Bowl is really the first time you had some kind of stable, some sort of stable footing to stand on to where you could start growing instead of just surviving. Um, and we actually had the pleasure of having one of your earlier writers um, come on the show. Uh, Russ Joy was one of my favorite interviews so far, just as far as like a true Philly guy moment. And it was so crucial to get the right guys early on. Um, what were you looking for, like those first couple writers to start growing this blog out? Yeah, it's, it's a really good, really good question. So funny story about Russ, I put in the thread that like there was a month where I paid him instead of my mortgage, which was true. It was like, hey, Russ is like, hey, you owe me for three months. And I was like, well, you know, Russ is one of our guys and like we know this is going to go well. So, you know, it, I think that sort of thing speaks to anyone who runs a business where, you know, there's times you just got to make a hard decision and kind of take a leap of faith and and double down. So but Russ is, is one of our most important guys and he's got a really interesting story. He was a teacher. Um, and in 2017, I had wanted to start this podcast. Um, I wanted to do a morning show three times a week, 6am. It was kind of a heavy lift. And I put out a tweet looking for people. Um, and I got responses from a bunch. And then Russ was someone who had no real like formal background in sports, but he sent a sample audio tape. And I was like, this guy sounds good. He's eager. He was com half the battle was being committed to getting up at 6 a.m. and doing this. And he said, hey, I can get this in before I go out off to school and, and work and all that. And then the other guy who hit us up um, was Adam Lefko, who's you know now pretty big at TNT. And at the time, he was you know kind of he was with Bleacher Report. He wasn't as, as known as he is now, but he was certainly known. And I was like, well, this is great. Um, he can kind of really he's got like more of the broadcasting chops than we do. Russ brings the fan opinion and I'm somewhere in the middle running this blog. So. That's how I got to know Russ. We started doing that for a while. And then it turned out Russ was also a great blogger. And I was like, dude, you can, you can write for the site too. And we'll pay on the side to do that. And then he was really good at writing some of this betting content that was important for the business. So I was like, Hey man, I can pay you more to do this because this is making money. And, you know, eventually last year we finally hired him full time, even though he'd been like heavy freelance for about two to three years uh, two to three years before that, but bringing on all those writers. So back in 2017, we got a, a, an investment from two local guys, um, uh, Mike, Mike Iredell and Jeff wool, who were, um, tagged in that thread. One of them's a cardiologist. One of them's a local business owner. They were fans of the site. I think at some point I had mentioned that like, Hey, like wink, wink, I'm kind of looking for investors. And both of those guys are like, yeah, we like to say, what do you need? And we had this plan. It was at the time where subscriptions were starting to get big. The athletic was getting some traction. And we're like, we're going to go hire um, like some marquee Philly names. And I had reached out to, you know, time, enough time's gone by here, but I reached out to like Jimmy Kemsky. Um, I had reached out to, um, I'm trying to think here, uh, Charlie, Charlie O'Connor, who covers the Flyers. Um, uh, Derek Bodner. I mean, we, we tried like everybody, everybody who's who's who of Philly Twitter. We're like, we're going to see if we could pay these guys, give everybody a little bit of stake and then create basically what became the Philly version of athletic. And all of those guys said no for one reason or another. And I appreciate it. Jimmy has got a really good gig with Philly voice. Derek Bodner w was going to the athletic, right? So these guys, the train had kind of already left the station and we're like, well, man, that would have worked because we would have got all these people with really big followings and they knew they were talented. And a lot of them felt they didn't fit the voice of crossing broad, which was like more gossipy. And those, those are more in the weeds guys. So we're like, screw it. We're going to go find really eager people kind of put together like the bad news bears of blocking, you know, not necessarily people that have a ton of experience. So we brought in Russ, we brought in uh, Bob Wankel who had 
long time ago, written a little for Barstool, but he, he was a teacher and now he's an unbelievable Phillies guy. We brought in Anthony Sanfilippo who had been covering the flyers and was probably the only real name we brought in. And then Kevin Kincaid, who had done some TV production work and a little side blocking became our, our head writer. So we pieced together all these guys who didn't really have followings, but they were all really good writers, really passionate about the local teams and eager, like, you know, had always wanted to do this. And in the long run, that wound up working out better because we had guy, we've got guys who are just truly devoted to the site, who have gone from part time freelance to part time to most of them are now full time with good careers and benefits doing this. And um, yeah, but it was kind of like a ragtag bunch. I remember the day we announced like our new team and all the people in the comments were like, well, I've heard of Anthony, but who the hell is everybody else? And, you know, why should we pay attention to these people? And now for my money, you know, Bob's the best guy on the Phillies beat. Kevin's the best guy on the Sixers beat. Russ and Anthony are it for the Flyers as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, and then we got Phil Kydell and Tim Riley. And, you know, we've had some others, um, you know, help us out along the way. And it's, it's worked out really well. Sorry, I was a long answer, but um, it was a really cool <laughs> ragtag group. And like, they're all still with us pretty much. And that's kind of the neat part of doing it, like the way you guys did it. And that's why I like reading Crossing Broad more than I like reading other stuff. I mean, I follow like all, all like you said, all the heavy hitters for like Eagles, uh, Phillies, Sixers um, for like quick blurbs here and there on Twitter. They're great because, you know, they're getting the first scoop. Right? If I'm going to sit down and like read an article, I enjoy reading Crossing Broad because oftentimes it's written the way I would think about the team or the way I thought that game went. Um, and it's because you have guys who were fans first and became writers instead of media personalities who you brought on to be a writer. Um, like there, it feels to me at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, that crossing broads allegiance is like really to the fan first. And then, you know, teams, organizations, partnerships, whatever else, um, because, you know, you guys were fans when you started writing for it. Yeah, totally. It's, and it's really hard because um, <clears throat> we have credentials now to most of the games but our guys do a really nice job of, of staying the allegiance to the fan for the longest time. You know, in the beginning, I couldn't get them. We were too snarky and too small. And, you know, most of the teams would have laughed at us those first few years. Uh, but then as time went on, people would always say to me, like, do you want credentials? Do you go to the games? Do you go to all the games? Right. And I'm like, I live in Horsham and now I'm all the way up by Doylestown. I was like, I'm far. I can't go to every weeknight game and nor do I want to because you get there and you kind of have to play the PR game. You yeah. get the coach before the game, you get the press release. And, you know, a lot of the writers, the good ones separate themselves from the herd, but many of the writers just kind of move and the reporters in a herd. They're all covering the same comments and the same things. And us being able to take a step back and kind of view the, the TV landscape, the post-game show, the radio aspect, like really bring together the, the, the whole ecosystem of being a fan, being away is actually, uh, actually very helpful from that standpoint. And it's allowed us to keep that fan voice. And I always preach to our guys, you know, Kevin Kincaid goes to most Sixers games and Bob goes to lots of Phillies games, Anthony and, and Russ are at almost every Flyers game, or at least they were sort of pre pandemic. And I'm like, guys, when you're down there, just remember who you're writing for. You're not writing for the PR department or other writers. You're writing for the fan. And honestly, sometimes it's easier to take people that are talented and passionate and turn them into, I'll use journalists and air quotes, but, someone covering the team because if you find someone who's kind of schooled and has been in the media for a while, they have their processes and it's almost impossible to break that and have them fit, you know, what our site is. Yeah. And then you end up sounding like every other site, which, you know, it's hard to compete when you're, when you started the way that you started, it's hard to compete with like NBC sports Philly when they're backed by, you know, major network and Comcast and 
all this stuff. You have to kind of exist in a different space. Um, but one huge thing did go your way. Uh, it seemed like there was a big turning point when the Eagles went on that Super Bowl run and then inevitably won the Super Bowl. Um, could that have possibly come at a better time for you guys? Or is that like, that seemed like lightning in a bottle? Yeah, it, it was. It was well-timed. So that we had raised a little bit of money and brought on our ragtag group that previous December or September. So September 2017, August, September 2017, we got started. And we basically, since we had wanted to do the subscription model, we figured we're going to have about six months of runway to bring people on. And then we're going to get subscriptions and that'll give us nice recurring revenue. And by the time we get to six months, you know, we should be, should be good and breaking even. Well, as I put in the thread, like the subscription thing really didn't work for us because it was all kind of built on the idea that we were going to bring in like these big names. We're going to bring an audience with them. And most of them said no, you know, for better or worse. So we had the ragtag group. We got some subscriptions, but not a ton. I was like, all right, but we got a really talented team. The site is good. The traffic is good. Like I feel better about the content than ever. So let's just find a business model now. And, but as we're getting to, you know, January, of of 2018 we're like four or five months in and i'm looking at the revenue and the revenue is like good our ad revenue was picking up we had some other opportunities some t-shirts here and there but i was like i was looking at what we're paying the guys looking at what we were bringing in and looking at like kind of the bare minimum i needed to kind of like you know pay my bills and stuff i was like you know we're cut we're gonna be cutting it close and then uh you know and then lane johnson goes and wears the dog mask on tv and i'm like thankfully we had set up this t-shirt shop and we were fulfilling all the shirts ourselves. So we had really good profit margins. That was, we'd always been a t-shirt affiliate, but two years earlier, my, my wife left her job. We made the decision that, Hey, part of the deal is like, we will actually fulfill and inventory our own shirts, like in the basement. And she was responsible for customer service and sending them out because you get like twice the margin if you're oh, doing yeah. most of the legwork. So, um, so Lane John, so we had this process set up. We were using a Shopify store. Lane Johnson wears the dog mask, instant t-shirt. Um, we sell quite a bit of those. We spend like the next two weeks, you know, in, in the dining room packing shirts. I remember Russ was here helping us. And then obviously the Super Bowl. And I knew, like, oh my God, if they win, this is this is an apparel opportunity. We had all these shirts pre-planned. You know, we had a parade shirt, like a faux trophy shirt on top of City Hall, and they sold okay. But immediately after the game, I posted them and I could see like they weren't getting the massive traction I had expected. And I was like, okay, we should probably do a shirt on the Philly special. And I just like yeah. sketched on a piece of paper the play. I was watching the replay, sketching it out, and then just sent it to our designer. I was like, take this sketch and just put it on a t shirt. Like, it doesn't need to be fancy. I think it will sell. Uh, and then like by the next morning, we sold like $12,000 worth of shirts in like the first eight minutes. And I was like, okay, we got a winner, you know? And then, um, and then obviously Jason Kelsey does his speech that, that Thursday or Friday and at the parade. And, uh, you know, that was another shirt and that gave us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue over like the next month and a half. And it was like, okay, could take a deep breath. It wasn't going to last forever, but it was like, if nothing else, we got a year or two of kind of payroll to, to make work here. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Super Bowl is one thing and I want to get into that in a second, but just the amount of it's right the amount of profitable opportunities that come out of one run. I mean, you got to figure you get Philly, Philly, you get the dog masks, and then you get the hungry dogs run faster all within about a four week span. Um, I mean, you literally would sell out of one design. And then by the time you launch the next one, there's already another like flashpoint moment you got to cover. Um, I mean, I, I love that team for so many reasons, but I mean, the personalities on that team were probably second to none that I, as far as I can remember at least. 
It was, yeah, yeah, it was wild. I mean, sometimes you do get those, you know, I guess with any championship run, you're going to have these special moments that you can kind of commemorate, but you know, getting something is like an outlier at the dog mask. And, and obviously the speech just created such a, such an opportunity for everybody. And I remember being at the parade and, you know, we were selling a lot of the Philly special shirts all week. And I was on the phone with like our supplier and you know, how are we going to do this? Right. And we got to, we got to ship these now. And then uh, we had a hotel in the city um, and then Kelsey gives a speech. And I remember sprinting back to the hotel, grabbing the laptop. We have designers guy in Cincinnati. So he probably wasn't watching. I was like, this just happened. Like, and I gave him some ideas for the shirt. I was like, <laughs> get me something. And by that night we threw something up and, um, you know, it was just, it was by Friday morning, we posted that one. It was crazy. It was crazy. And it was a sigh of relief because it was like, okay, we if nothing else, Frosting Broad continues to exist for two more years. And we kind of figured out beyond that. Yeah. If nothing else, we just might become like an apparel company at this point. <laughs> it's a totally um, different thing. I spent the next six weeks in my garage um, stuffing t-shirts and I had neighborhood could, hood kids here uh, helping me, high school kids. Some of the guys came up, my wife, like parents, you name it. I had, if I knew them, I called them and they were in my garage putting shirts and envelopes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, if you want to like read more about the thread, it's all on Twitter. Um, our page will retweet it. So you can check it out. Um, but just even existing just outside of that explanation of itself, um, crossing broad and then your whole story in general, um, at least to me kind of hit a bigger theme in that uh, sports in Philly and in the surrounding area is just, it's, it's bigger than a game that you go watch. Um, like, you know, in LA, you have so many other things to do. So you go and watch a game. Miami is similar. Um, Philly, you have so many people like yourself where, I mean, these games are your livelihood, you know, the passion of yourself, Ross, uh, Kevin, like, you know, everybody else who's there. Um, and a lot of people don't get that. Um, like if you're not from around here or if you're not like a diehard Philly fan, we come off a different way. Um, so can you, can you just kind of try to put into words, like, how sports to you has been bigger than something you go watch or something you watch on TV, like what Philadelphia sports really means to, to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, and I think, you know, everybody listening and all of our readers and all that it's Philly is such a provincial town, you know, Boston's pretty similar. Philly, you know, has just a bigger footprint in terms of the suburbs and the, the Metro area, but well, maybe not. Boston's got all of new England, but you know, they're, they're very similar in that regard. And people don't leave Philly You know, people, grow up here, you know, it's a legacy thing. You root for the team because you grew up doing it because they grew up doing it. And your kids and my kids are, are, are doing the same. Uh, and cities like New York are certainly there's loyal fans in, in all cities and, and especially in New York, but there's a lot of transient people and, you know, international people and people from all over the country go to New York to work and Chicago, a little bit the same. And LA is, uh, is obviously the same. San Fran is, is Silicon Valley. And, but Philly is different. And, and it's, it's a part of people's lives, sports, it's traditions. And it's not just the games are a big part of that, but the example I always use is, um, you know, whether you like him or, or hate him, Angelo Cataldi has been doing this forever. Right. And he's the, you know, the morning radio host on, on WIP. And if you're a Philly sports fan, you have probably almost certainly spent more time listening to Angelo over the course of your life. Um, especially if you had a morning commute at any point than watching basically any other player who's ever played in Philly. And at the time, like I'll use Cole Hamels, you know, kind of big name marquee player that was here, won a world series, was here a long time, kind of came up here. 
but you probably, the average Phillies fan has probably spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hours of listening to Angelo and maybe like 20 hours watching Cole Hamels actually throw baseballs, right? So like the media is as much a part of our lives and the people around sports are as much a part of our lives as the players and teams. You know, that's Ron Jaworski. It's, it's Bernie Perron. It's the media guys. It's the radio folks. So we were... That was a big part of our site was tapping into that. And we covered, we did radio wars and we covered like the battles between the personalities on the different radio stations. We commented on what was going on on the post game show because, you know, I realized and I think our audience appreciated that, um, you know, anyone who's a true Philly sports fan wasn't just turning the game off. They were consuming everything around it. They were going to the ballpark. They were excited about Dollar Dogs Nights and um, the new beer at Citizens Bank Park and, you know, Xfinity Live when it got built. You know, we always commented on all that stuff around the game, which I really think helped. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just for myself, like, you know, following on Twitter and all, like, you know, I found myself um, like I'll, I'm a diehard Sixers fan. I follow everything in Philadelphia, but everybody has that one sport. And for me, it's basketball. So I'll find myself watching the pregame, the game, the postgame interviews when Doc says something infuriating, the rest of that reaction, and then probably even Sixers outsiders for a while after that. And that's not uncommon. Um, I mean, for, for fans here, like you don't just turn the game on or like scroll your phone oddly while the game's on. Like it's, it's a four hour viewing experience. And to your point with the radio, um, I'm personally not a huge fan of WIP. Um, I think sometimes our sports media in Philly is one of our bigger hindrances, but it is, it's an institution. Like you were saying, like, I still listen to it, whether you like it or not, like, you're going to tune in. You're going to talk to people about you know what blasphemous stuff they may have said that morning, that afternoon, and you know, and that's why they're almost the sixth team in Philly is the media. Um, so that's what I love about it. Um, as much as I would like to leave Philly at some point, I, I can't imagine going to another sports town because it would never live up, in in my opinion. Um, it's such a yeah. way of life for people. It really is a way of life. It really is. And the media folks are so competitive with each other. I mean, they, we, you know. Uh, Les Bowen punched Jeff McLean once, you know, two Eagles writers down at the practice, uh, practice facility, you know, and they cover it. The Eagles are covered like the white house. They like, they yeah. really are the, the, the attitude and demeanor of the reporters in that room with the coach is the same as, is the reporters talking to the white house press, you know, press correspondent. It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's, it's uniquely Philly and a yeah, few other that- North, Northeast cities. <laughs> And that's the interesting part um, about it being uniquely Philly. Um, and I'm always brought back to, there's a great clip um, that came up when uh, Ray Dinger announced his you know, retirement. And it was a video of him. It was during the Super Bowl, and it was him on a panel. And one of the other panelists, whose name, unfortunately, I can't remember, um, was, you know, taking the easy shot and kind of disparaging Philadelphia fans, you know, for like, you know, the snowballs at Santa, the booing, and like, you know, all like the, the cheap shots that you can take. And, you know, on national TV, Didinger took the time out of his day to get vehemently angry, like red in the face, stood up and just kind of put him back in his place. Um, and that always makes me think, like, you know, what what makes us so uniquely different to where almost no other sports fan base quite understands outside of the I mean, Buffalo Bills fans are as intense as we are. But I still think that's even a little bit different. Um, like, can you pinpoint anything in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia fandom that makes us so unique from every other sports city that this country has to offer. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there, there really is an underdog mentality, mentality, and this will probably speak to your audience, but like Philly is, is always going to be in the shadow of New York and Washington in some ways, right? Um, you know, you got the, the nation's capital, two hours south. You got you know, the greatest city on earth, two hours north, right? And, and Philly's kind of stuck in the middle, and it's very provincial, and it doesn't have the big money and development and wall street like New York has, and it doesn't have the seat of political power like DC has yet. The country was founded here and, um, and it's a big market and it's got great sports teams and it's got a booming city and business and Comcast, you know, I mean, like, there are big, big business and opportunity here, but I think just as a, as a town, it's a very blue collar town. So that comes, there's an underdog mentality to that. And then people don't leave here. And then we we've been stereotyped, you know, in some some cases rightly is rough, yeah. and we are like that we are, and we have it's to own that. Town. But we get this bad rap because of it. And then you could look at some truly horrific things that happen in other stadiums. You know, fan is killed in in um, Kansas City. You know, there's been gang violence outside like Dodgers and Giants games. These things have happened. They're, over the last ten years, I remember us blogging them. Like people have been stabbed outside of games. People have been killed. Like there have been horrible fights at every NFL stadium. And Philly, right? Yeah. But anytime the littlest thing happens in Philly, everyone just sort of, you know, gloms onto that stereotype. And I think we get our backs up and that's where we kind of just get this herd mentality. Like we're always backed into a corner and we kind of feel the need to live up to it sometimes and then defend ourselves against it when, when outsiders call us on it. But the reality is, you know, I wager there are less horrific, like truly horrific sports things that happen here uh, than elsewhere. You know, we, we just boo a lot and like we're hard on players, but it's all like, you know, that's it's not like actual violence usually. No. Yeah. And even as recently as I want to say it was a month ago, um, Yankees fans were throwing trash cans onto the field. Um, it was a new story for about a day. Um, right. We did. You still hear about snowballs, snowballs at Santa from people who weren't even alive, myself included, when that happened. So, I mean, that's just kind of the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Yeah, you won't hear, you know, those things don't stick with other teams and cities. I think that's where we get really bothered. It'd be one thing, it sticks with us, but like it doesn't stick. I can't even recall. I, I know we've blogged dozens of them over the years, but I can't even recall like a specific incident because it just kind of comes. And even in my mind, it just washes through and it never sticks with that team or city the way anything that happens in Philly seems to seems to really stick here. Exactly. Um and this, this I didn't even go over on the rundown, but just the way this has been going, I'm dying to hear your opinion on it. Um, we've been talking about, you know, how it's unique and how it's different. And, you know, the fans are so passionate. And we've recently started putting together, like, um, the guys that get it. Like, you can really tell, like, guys that are Philly, they were almost born to play here. Um, if you had to pick one guy to represent the guys who get it club, um, who would that spokesperson be in your mind? Man. I mean, there's been a lot over the years. I mean, you know, it depends. Like, we love guy like to me, Chase Utley, like my my sports hero, right? Yeah. And I don't know if he necessarily got it. I I think I read once that he said like he would prefer to play in front of an empty stadium. He just wants to win the game. He's that competitive. But we like that about him. I think you know some of the guys who get it from playing to the crowd standpoint. Bryce Harper gets it. You know. He knows some of these guys. I think he strategically gets it. Like he's, I'm going to wear the fanatic socks and and the fanatic spikes, and I'm going to play to the crowd. And he probably has someone encouraging him to do that. You know, I think guys over the years, like you know, like Rod Brendamore and Sean Podine, you know, like those sorts of like hard nosed players. I think we really like Allen Iverson is is obviously one. I mean, there's been a lot over the years, and I think everyone gets it in a slightly different way. 
some guys we just love because they're competitive. Some guys like Iverson, we love because they're competitive and they wear their heart on the sleeve. And other guys just really play to us really well and they play hard and then they, you know, they, they play up to it, to the fans, you know, and yeah. you know, we, we're not hard, like, you know, we're, really not. we're not I mean, hard to win over. You could probably say like Bryce Harper probably had like some PR person at some point tell him like, Hey, try this, try this. They'll love you. And we do. And it's fine. Like he, he does it. And he, he plays hard and he backs it up. It's all it takes. Yeah. And you got to figure, I mean, we've idolized guys. Like, I mean, when Dario Sharich left, people were genuinely sad. TJ McConnell, like you don't have to be a superstar to get it. We're just, we ask it that you give us 100% all the time because for a lot of people in the stands, that's what they're giving you. I mean, it might be half a week's pay. It might be, you know, not eating out a couple times, come to the game and you kind of expect that back. Um, I mean, just two names that always come to mind for me is I think Joel Embiid's done a spectacular job of getting it. Um, I know whenever I go watch him play and like listen to him talk, I know he wants the championship as bad for the Sixers as I do for the Sixers. Um, Jason Kelsey is another like all timer, like gets it kind of guy. Um, but it really isn't that hard to stick here. I don't think. Um, yeah, Embiid's done a nice job. He really has, you know, and he, he backs it up. He says the right things. He's truly entertaining. It's rare you get a guy who tries as hard, but is also as entertaining. You know, we tend to not love the guys who are kind of like, I don't want to say it's sideshow, but like they have like this, you know, ancillary persona mm -hmm. that, that he's able to tap into so well, but he does both. And so it makes him a, a true diamond in the rough. Yeah, he's he's a star. Um, and this we appreciate you coming on as a star in Philadelphia media. Um, I mean, I wish we could talk for an hour, 15, hour 30, um, but I got to leave a little bit of room for a couple other people to make some money off of the content. Uh, but it has been awesome having you on. Uh, this has been one of the most entertaining interviews I ever get to have because like, it's a Philadelphia and New York sports show. I rarely get to do just a full episode on just like the nitty gritty of Philadelphia sports. I really thank you for being a part of it. Um, for all of our listeners, you can check Kyle Scott out on Twitter at Kyle, Kyle Scott Laskowski or Kyle Scott on Crossing Broad or the co-host at Monetize Media HQ. All can be found on Twitter. Kyle, thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.